Good morning, church. I read a lot. I read a lot of American history. And um, I'm reading a book right now that's got me thinking a lot about the Native Americans. American settlers just didn't really ever really know what to do with Native Americans. The seal to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, if you ever look at it, you can Google this up. Uh, the seal from the Massachusetts Bay Colony they got from the Macedonian call in Acts 16. It's a, it's a picture of an Indian saying, come over and help us. So part of the Puritan project in America was they were billing it as religious freedom, but it was coupled with, we got to go over and help these Indians. They weren't calling them Indians. They weren't Indians. Um, and then King Philip's War happens, and suddenly they don't really know what to do. Evangelism isn't, isn't easy with Native Americans. Um, they worship trees and suns and sticks and spirits, and uh, they don't speak the same language. And um, by the time the early 1700s rolls around, um, you've got uh, places like Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and even Georgia. Georgia, by the early 19th century, is known for really two things, cheap land and Indians. And Andrew Jackson wants them out. And I thought to myself, you know, by the beginning of the Civil War, Americans are doing one thing really well, being fruitful and multiplying. But they forgot that Indians were also created in the image of God. And the atrocities that were committed by mainly the Cherokee Indians in Georgia, just it's unspeakable. And of course, we don't want to just pick on Georgia. It was happening everywhere. Um, but I just kept thinking, Native Americans represent, in a lot of ways, We've always known how to be fruitful and multiply. America is here today largely because manifest destiny, keep pushing west. The problem was there were people living there. <laughs> we didn't know what to do about that. And if any people on earth should really understand the glory of God in nature, it's Americans. Look at the land that we live on. Find another state as beautiful as Georgia. I dare you. I've always thought North Carolina was the prettiest. But then I came down here to Georgia and I went, man, Georgia's pretty too. And I'll stick that against Kentucky. And y'all know I love Kentucky. I'll tell you, Georgia pound for pound beat Kentucky in beauty. I think they can. We don't have beaches. Y'all do. And I just think, man, God just stamped His glory on Georgia. We have no right to live one day without worshiping God. As much as, I mean, it to take, for me to drive from 370 Alcove Way all the way here, look what I drive through to get here. The problem is, sin came in. And instead of seeing fellow image bearers, that image is marred over and we don't want to worship God anymore. We want to worship the things that God gave us. And we're going to read a passage this morning. It's the very first passage in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the what? Heavens and the earth. That's, that's the first thing God wants you to know that He did. He did what? He created. 
The very first thing we need to know about the living God is that He is the Creator. And everything else after that springs from God is Creator. You cannot know the living God unless you know the very first thing about Him, which is He created everything that is. And I was just reading Genesis 1, and I'm thinking, sea creatures, winged creatures, weird creatures, flying creatures. We've got all the creatures right here. And a lot of the creatures, I mean, I'm in heaven, and I'm, when I stand face to face with God, I'm going to go, why did you create the gnat? Gnats were around, I suppose, before, you know, I have questions. But what I do know is the gnat is to the glory of God somehow. I don't know how it does that. But I know God created that gnat. I know that we talked about this before. I just, I have to take, sometimes I'm a broken record. How photosynthesis works. I learned it in third grade, forgot about it, read about it again at 33 and went, in third grade, I was like, yeah, um, when's crayon time? But think about how our world works. And it just, and, but, but we've, we've gotten smart now. See, we, we know now we can slowly push God out. And the things that we see now, we can go, well, that's just science. You didn't know that? There's laws behind that, Abby. That's, I mean, yeah, God, God got the ball rolling, but we don't really need God anymore. See, he, he made laws and gravity. We found slowly ways to push God out and explain everything we see without God actually being there. And the point is not to shun modern science. Modern science, there are a lot of things that are good from that. The problem is, Romans 1 says that when I look out into that woods here in Oxford, Georgia, that His divine nature is clearly perceived. Our small group on Wednesday night recently went out evangelizing on the square. I thought we had a great time. Preached the gospel. I met five teenage boys. They're all 17. They all, they all drive diesel dually trucks, and they sit like this for three hours on the square doing this. Hey, what's up? So I went and talked to them. They do that all the time. Say, hey, what are y'all doing out here? Nothing. I know, but what, what do y'all, what do y'all, how, how do y'all hang out? Come to find out, they don't even go to the same high schools. They go to four different high schools. I said, what do you have in common? Trucks. <laughs> oh, okay, that's all that. And they just, their entire life is about driving trucks, Letting other people see their trucks and talking about girls. That's what I gathered spending two hours with these young men. And they're pretty easy to talk to. It's actually kind of refreshing. And I'll tell you this, people aren't always hard, aren't always easy to talk to in the Bible Belt, but I'll tell you this, 17-year-old boys will talk to you. They're not doing anything else. <laughs> and um we got into a deep conversation about why everybody wants to be happy. And this kid, I forgot his name, he said something really profound. I said, why do you guys talk about trucks all the time? He goes, so people can see us in our trucks? <laughs> he actually said that. 
And I said, why do you want to see in trucks? He's like, doesn't everybody want to be seen? I went, you got a philosopher here. And I, he goes, and I said, why do you want to be seen in your trucks? He's like, because everybody's just trying to be happy. Right there on a Wednesday night, 17-year-old kid talking real talk. And he's right. And we preached the gospel to those boys. And it brought me back to this. Every single unbeliever woke up today and every single believer, every single unbeliever, every single human being, every single resident of Covington and Oxford, Georgia, they looked out, they saw sun, they saw trees, and they witnessed the glory of God whether they knew it or not. And by virtue of living amongst beautiful creation, they know there is a creator. And Romans 1 says they have suppressed the truth and sought after the creation. And our job is to let them know that the, the creator who hung those stars hung on a tree. And he came after us and evangelism begins with the idea that the creator became savior. And that's the gospel. I think that's my first slide. Tell you what, Chris, I know you've been gone, man. Johnny on the spot with these slides over here. Jesus is the way. We know inherently, C.S. Lewis was really good at explaining this, because we read Eden as we're getting ready to, because we know things were good, because we know that the Creator is powerful and wise and intelligent and merciful, we know that things are not the way they should be. These 17-year-old boys knew that they wanted to be happy, and sometimes they're not. And they're already programmed to look and go seek something that makes them feel fulfilled. At some point, every single person on this earth wants an answer to the question, why are things the way they are? And the book of Genesis answers that. We can break salvation history into four parts. Creation, Genesis 1 and 2. Fall, Genesis 3. Redemption, which is actually foreshadowed in Genesis 3 and 12 and actually some other parts. And then consummation. So you actually got the framework for the entire Bible in the book of Genesis. I've always been fascinated, and we're going to see here in the coming weeks, that right after God curses the serpent, He gives a promise. We see the gospel already taking shape. We see the wheels and the mechanism of the gospel already taking shape in the third chapter of the Bible. And so if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1, the verse, first 25 verses, and stand when you've uh, reached that, and we're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit through Moses says... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was, hev- there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Let's pray. Father, you are creator. And we come to you in the name of the Son. We are made right with you by the Spirit. Father, you have done wonderful things and the heavens declare your glory, as Psalm 19 says. Father, we humbly ask that by that very same word that we come to understand who you are. Father, this morning as we look at Genesis 1, give us a deeper appreciation for your power and your greatness and your glory. And give us a greater sense of your mission and our design in your good universe. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen. Here's my summary this morning. In the beginning and before our ancestors sinned against him, God created a cosmos that was good, elaborate, abounding in his perfections, and stamped with his glory. How many people, raise your hand if you've seen Toy Story 4. Gene Lloyd saw Toy Story 4. Gene, I, I knew you were a Pixar fan. I'm betting there were some little ones with you. Oh, Cheyenne's seen it. My twins have seen it. TJ's seen it. Dave, did you say you saw it? No? Raise your hand again if you've seen it. Seth Yuri saw it. So, just in case you haven't seen it, In the movie, the young girl named Bonnie goes to school and nobody plays with her. And she gets sad and she cries. 
And in order to have a companion, she makes a toy, and she names him Forky. Kids love this, don't they? Forky is a plastic spork with glued-on eyes, little tinsel arms, and like little pegged Play-Doh feet, and he walks around like this. Horrendous looking toy. But it means a lot to her because, of course, Forky is her only friend. And so there's a lot of uh, um, just significance there, emotionally and whatnot. When she makes Forky, this is like the stuff of my nightmares when I was little, he comes to life in her backpack, all like looking like that. And of course, Woody is there, and Woody has to convince Forky that he doesn't need to go in the trash, that he's a toy now. And there's the premise of the whole show. I have a feeling that's how a lot of people think of Genesis 1. God got lonely. God needed a friend. God made us. He took a bunch of materials that he already had. He put something together. It was really primitive. It was underdeveloped. But it was cute, and it meant a lot to him, and it was like Forky. But that's a very low view of God. And before we begin this morning, we've got to get three things straight. Here's number one. God means nothing. He's God. God did not create the world because he was lonely. He created out of the overflow and abundance of his creative glory. That is theology 101. Why wasn't God lonely? Because God God. Number two, God created the universe ex nihilo, which is Latin for out of nothing. He didn't use pre-existing materials. Now, of course, he technically did with Adam and Eve, as we're going to see later. He brought them out of the what? Dust of the earth. But he didn't have, this isn't Big Bang Theory. He didn't have pre-existing materials that he popped together and made something. He created ex nihilo, out of nothing. Number three, God's prehistoric world wasn't primitive in the sense that it needed to progress and get better. It was just as he wanted it, and he says what? It was good. God's design is intentional, it's elaborate, it's specific, it's what he wants, and it's good enough for him. Now, I'm not going to dabble into evolution here um, there are different theories amongst evolutionists, and there are people who, don't, who reject evolution itself and believe in natural selection. But we've got to recognize two things regardless of where you stand on that. One, everything is created, what? According to its kind. It's not a mistake, and it's good. Number two, regardless of what we believe about natural selection, God didn't patch together a forky. Adam and Eve were not cavemen. His universe was filled with intelligent beings, elaborate created things, and creatures who were very diverse, created for a very specific reason. Forky is actually what happens after sin. (laughs) He's a jumbled mess. He doesn't have a purpose or meaning. He's trying to go in the trash. Somebody needs to correct him and tell him that he belongs. That's kind of a gospel thing. Genesis 1 is important for us as Christians today because we have to remember these things. All of creation declares the glory of God. Two, God is good and his creation was good. 
Number three, God's divine nature is clearly perceived, Romans 1. Our souls long to return to Genesis 1. And God's word is able to create out of nothing. And God said, and God said, and God said. Time after time in Genesis 1, God is reminding us that he speaks and things exist. That's how the universe came about. He said, let there be light, and there was. Something to kind of think about is... This is how we need to understand what happens when people are born again. He speaks into their soul and changes them. You can think of it like this. Creation, God made by His Word. The rebirth, God remade by His Word. So whether God is creating the universe or regenerating a lost soul, He speaks and creates. We could read this opening passage in one of two ways. We could get done reading and we could go, God did all that for me. Wow. Well... Or we could go, man, God is so full of glory and splendor and power and He created the whole universe just like that. Wow. Now here, we need to understand that God, that we should not read Genesis 1 and the first thing we think about is how valuable we are. We should read Genesis 1 and think about how glorious God is. I asked somebody one time, I think I've used this before I was in Africa hanging out with um, a guy, and I looked over and I said, um, do you think there's life on other planets? I like that question. Actually, you know, this is not even in here. How many people think there's life on other planets? I'm just Y'all are scared to say so, aren't you? <laughs> and, uh, and I'll never forget what he said. He was lying, it, was, it was at nighttime. We were uh, having ice cream. He goes, I mean... I hope so. It'd be an awful waste of space. (laughs) And I remember being struck by that. Even then, when I really wasn't very mature in my faith, I thought, what a completely man-centered view of the universe. Like the universe is wasted if we're not in it. God didn't create the vast universe so that we could think less of God and more of ourselves as if we needed to be everywhere that there was a space. God created the vast universe so that we could see how small we are and how big He is. And that's what we gather here in Genesis 1. And it's not just human beings that He tells to fill the earth. Even the animals He commands to fill the earth with His glory and His blessing. Verse 22. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Swarms of living creatures, swarms of sea creatures, birds in the air, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth. God is not doing a magic trick. He's going to great lengths to demonstrate the beauty, the complexity and the wonder of His glory. God wants the universe to become, in some sense, an amphitheater for His glory. God wants the glory of the earth to reflect and to shine forth His own glory. I still remember driving when I first moved to Georgia, and something went across the road, and I think Kelly's in the car and went, what in the world was that? It was an armadillo. And of course the next thing I said was, I didn't know they had armadillos. You mean like those things in Texas? They're here. They have armadillos in Georgia. A little context. We don't have armadillos in Kentucky. I was under the impression that armadillos were like out in Phoenix with the tumbleweeds. 
apparently we have them here. Why in the world is that? I don't know. God wanted armadillos in Georgia, I can tell you that. In Kentucky, God wanted there to be caves and huge rivers and bluegrass. In Georgia, he wanted magnolia trees and mountains and seashores and live oaks. He's doing the exact same thing. The limits and boundaries are there because God wants them there. There is purpose and there is order. Order and authority are not products of sin. They existed before sin and they'll remain after sin. God separates light and darkness. He separates the waters from the waters. He separates the waters from the expanse. He makes plants. He makes trees. He makes suns. He makes stars. He makes a nightlight. He makes a daylight. We're supposed to see all these things and we're supposed to think this. God is big and powerful. God is intelligent and wise. God is holy and not like us. God provides and cares for his creatures. God is worthy to be worshipped. That is what we should glean at the least when you drive through Oxford, Georgia. The problem is that we often turn God into a version of our sinful selves. We go, oh, God was lonely. He made a friend. That's why I have a problem a little bit with the words. Um, ben, who sings the song that says, God didn't want heaven without us? What's that song? Who sings that? Yeah. Uh, Hillsong. Yeah. I know, I think I know what he's saying. I don't have a problem with it. Y'all know that song that says, He didn't want heaven without us. Maybe you're looking at me now going, I don't know what you're saying. What did he say? Yeah, we changed the lyrics. Why did we do that? It's not that we're like repudiating the people who wrote the song. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but we don't like to sing songs that make God seem as if he's needy and needs us. No, we want a, we want a God who said, I am who I am, but I'm going to give you because it's grace. God is not a needy God, and he didn't make forkies. He didn't need a friend. He made us and made us friends because he is loving and he's creative and he's glorious. God knew exactly what he was doing and the creation is designed to communicate the fact that God doesn't need anything. Acts chapter 17, here's what Paul tells the Greeks at the Areopagus. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each of us. And that's where the gospel begins. All these trees, all these rivers, all these mountains, we are so close to God, and yet we are so far away in our sin. There are folks around in our community who are going to go on camping trips, they're going to hike the Appalachian Trail, they're going to go to beaches, they're going to hang out at lakes in order for them to feel close to God. And the very same word that spoke those things into existence is here for us to be saved and to know Him rightly. God takes the things that weren't there and He makes them into existence. God makes things new. The universe, Sarah's womb, Mary's womb, the tomb, our souls. From Genesis 1 to July 7, 2019, God is still creating, still speaking, still making things where there wasn't anything and saying, boom, let there be light. And that's the gospel. That's the faith I have in God's word. We were made by God's word and salvation comes by 
God's word. There's something to think about this morning. The creator-creature distinction is the greatest canyon that exists between two beings. There is no greater difference between something that's created and someone who created it. We have no rights. We are the clay. We have no privilege or power. God has all the sovereignty and all the authority. He does as He pleases. He's the Creator. And that very same God became one of us. He called us sons and daughters. The potter became the clay in some sense. And so one thing I like to think about in Genesis 1, God looks upon his creation and says, this is good. I'm going to wait till next week when he makes Adam and Eve and he says, this is very good. And then sin enters the world and we live in the corrupted, degraded, dark world and society we live in today. And Jesus comes in and God says, nothing is good, but he is. And anyone who wants to come back to Eden, anyone who wants to be made right, anyone who wants to know my will for their life and wants to come to know me, you have to get right with the one who is good. And the gospel today is the message that we have to deny ourselves, we have to confess that there is no goodness in us, that along with Adam and Eve, we have corrupted the earth. And why are things the way they are? Because of us. And declare that Christ alone is good. That's the gospel. Christ comes into a world that used to be good. He comes and says, I will follow the law. I will worship. Or actually, Jesus doesn't worship God. But I will fulfill all the demands, all the precepts. I will be the obedient Jew. I will do what Adam and Eve could not. I will resist the temptations of of Satan. And, And I think one of the things that we look at at the very end is... When Jesus gets baptized, what does the Father say? He says, this is my beloved Son and with whom I am well pleased. And we see that the mission of Jesus is restoring to goodness what has been lost. And so this morning, I wanted to remind us that Genesis 1 has everything to do with the gospel because the gospel is getting us back to Eden and even better. I want to declare, if you don't believe this, I think we have... We have uh, sufficient grounds to believe that heaven and the new heavens and the new earth will be even better than Genesis 1. And I hope you believe that. Because Adam walked with God, but there's going to become a day where I'm not only going to walk with God, I'm going to be found in his son. And he's going to call me good because I know the one who is good. If you've never thought about the universe like that, if you've never repudiated your own goodness and confessed that you are a wretched sinner in need of a good Savior, I call you to do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a good father. Thank you for your abundant mercy. Thank you for the rescue plan to bring us back to a right relationship with you. 
Father, the earth is filled with your glory, and even though we have corrupted it and gone our own way, you have pursued us in Christ. You have been faithful even when we were faithless. You have been good when we were evil. You have been everything we're not. And we worship you for your holiness and for who you are, the Creator, the Savior and our Redeemer. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.